he has spoken to Reuben God's word. Reuben, according to the customs of men, would be the rightful recipient of the inheritance of his father. But he would not be God's choice. Reuben has been unsteady like waters. Uh, Reuben has been a man controlled by his lust for power. And so the blessing of Abraham would not fall upon Reuben. Simeon and Levi are described as brothers of wrath. They will be dispersed. They will be separated. They are men of anger. And the blessing of Abraham will also not go to them. And then there was Judah. Judah, who was once a wicked man through and through, but by God's grace had been given a heart of flesh to follow after the heart of God. Through Judah, there will come kings. Through Judah, there will be great prosperity and strength. And there will be one from Judah who will rise with a scepter of royalty and with the shepherd's staff to lead a particular people. And from his hand, the scepter will not depart. And he will always guide his particular people. Of course, we know this to be the Lord Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The Lord has chosen Judah to be the one through whom the spiritual blessing of Abraham would would go through. But Israel was not done speaking, was he? He then turns to Zebulun, to Ishakar, to Dan, to Asher, to Naphtali, in order to give them God's word concerning their future. And while each of the, the histories of these men and their tribes is important, it will play out throughout the scriptures. There is one verse Nestled between these final words that we would like to zero in our, our focus this morning. And it is found in verse 18. For your salvation, I wait, O Lord. For your salvation, I wait, O Lord. Here is this 147-year-old prophet leaning upon his staff, as it were, giving God glory and giving God's word to his sons. And in the midst of worshiping God, in the midst of giving his final word to his sons, He breaks forth in this burst of hopeful praise. For your salvation, I wait. Oh, Lord. I believe that a fair question to ask of the text, and let me just encourage you, you should always ask the text questions. When you read the Bible, ask the Bible, why is that there? Why that word? Why this person? It's important to ask the Bible questions. So it's important for us to ask the question now. Why is this particular verse here at this particular time? 
Israel has been speaking to his sons. He's been giving to his sons the final word, if you will. And in the midst of giving to his sons this final word, he breaks forth in this confidence of praise and hope. For your salvation, I wait, O Lord. Uh, One might think a more appropriate place for this outburst of praise would be after verse 10. Look at verse 10. Tell me if you do not think that verse 18 belongs here. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from heaven from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him be the obedience of the people for your salvation, O Lord, I wait. Doesn't it sound more appropriate there? Doesn't it sound like it flows better there? But for whatever reason, which we hope to discover this morning, God has placed it elsewhere. In God's wisdom, this outburst of praise is nestled between the prophetic word to Dan and Asher. So then this morning, with God's help, we will examine the faith of Israel in his final praise. Let's look at three points this morning. Number one, Israel looks forward. Israel looks forward or Israel looking forward. Verse 18. For your salvation I wait, O Lord. Dear saints of God, Israel was given insight into the future. Israel was shown What God will do in and among his sons. And oh, what he sees by God's spirit in the future is, as Calvin says, ingratitude. He sees wickedness. He sees godlessness in his posterity. The children who will will come forth from his children will be those who do not worship God. They will be those who are ingrateful to God. They will be those who are indifferent in worshiping God. Zebulun will will live in a portion of land by the sea. Issachar will work hard like a mule, but his people will be in a servile disposition. They will be quiet, not courageous. And this was to their shame, not to their praise. Dan, Dan will be a people of judges, but they will be double-minded. Dan was born of a slave woman. He was born of one of the concubines of Abraham. But Dan was adopted by Rachel to be his own son. So Dan has a, a confused identity. He is born of a slave woman, but adopted by a free woman. And the judges that come forth from him, from him will, they will be unsteady in their judgments as well. Samson will arise from Dan. And we all know Samson to be an unstable man. And dear ones, we must not forget the words already spoken to, to Reuben, to Simeon, and to Levi. 
Gad will know defeat. Issachar will become servants because of their inability to handle luxury. And as we examine each of the words that God gives to the sons of Israel, we can conclude that life for the sons of Israel will not get any easier. The family of Israel, they're not going to finally, once and for all, put away sorrow. They are not going to put away suffering. They're not going to put away sin. Israel was given eyes to see the future. And he's overcome by what he sees in the future. I wonder, brothers and sisters, if you were given an opportunity by God to see what will become of your children and your children's children and and their children's children. And if you were to see that in the future there is no good thing in your family. That if you were to see that in your future there was godless people who came from you. People who cared not about worshiping Christ. What would your prayer for your children be like? If you could see that patterns that you are establishing now maybe of not worshiping with your family, continued, and it didn't get better, but it got worse. That you saw a family, children who are of your children, who are not worshiping God, and you were to look at your life and say, maybe, maybe if I established family worship in my home, maybe there would be a difference there. Maybe if I were more consistent in discipling my children, they would have better ways of discipling their children. I wonder if you were to be able to look into the future and see what will become of your children and your children's children, what you might change today. Maybe you might say along with Israel, For your salvation I wait, O Lord. But you must know this. Although Israel looks into the future and sees despair. Although Israel looks into the future and sees godlessness and indifference. These words in verse 18, they're not words of despair. They're words of confidence and hope and faith. We might look to the future, even the immediate future, and despair at the prospects of our immediate future. I don't know where I'm going to work. I don't know where I'm going to live. I don't know who I'm going to marry. It doesn't look good right now. And we might say, oh God, help me. And and while it may sound like a, a word of despair, it is really a word of hope. There is nothing that I can do but hope in God. There is no confidence that I can have in myself or what I see in my immediate future or even distant future. And so therefore my only hope is in God. I can only trust that God will make something good because I can see no good ahead of me. But they're not words of despair. They are words of confidence. 
spoken from a man who trusts in the promise, the covenant promise of God. They are words spoken from the lips of a man whose lips have been touched to utter the words of God, the eternal promises of God. And this moment is no different. Isaac has learned, or uh, Israel has learned what Isaac learned. Israel has learned what his grandfather Abraham had learned. He learned by the grace of God, he learned to look for a city whose foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He learned by the grace of God, he learned. God would not fail to save all of those whom He has promised to save. That all He would save all of those whom He has loved with an everlasting love. That if you belong to God, that you will not fail to be saved by God. He learned that God would not fail to uphold His covenant promises. That if God says it, then God will perform it. He's learned that God would bring all of His people into that eternal place of rest, to that heavenly Canaan. He is speaking words of confidence. He is speaking words of absolute assurity that God's Word is sure. That if God has said it, it shall be done. And I think that it's worth noting that the placement of these words, for your salvation, O Lord, I wait, or for your salvation, I wait, O Lord. They happen to be at number seven. You notice that? Go back to your scriptures. Israel speaks on behalf of God, and it begins with Reuben. Reuben is the first. And then he speaks to Simeon and to Levi. And do you notice that Simeon and Levi, they are coupled together as one. So they would not be two and three. They would rather be considered number two. He then speaks to Judah, who's number three. And then Zebulun, number four. Issachar, number five. Dan, number six. And before he speaks to his seventh son, as it were, he outburst with this praise. For your salvation, I wait, O Lord. God will bring salvation. And, and you must know this, the Scriptures are intentional. There is not one thing that the Scriptures say that is not insignificant. It's all significant. It's all purposeful. God is doing what He's doing, saying what He's saying for an intentional, specific reason. So what's the specific reason of the seventh? Well, Brother Dustin, with his son sitting upside down, he gave us a reason for the seventh a moment ago, didn't he? He gave us an understanding of what the seventh is about. In the Old Testament, the seventh was the significant Sabbath day. What is important about the Sabbath? Let, let me ask you that when someone asks you, what are you doing on, on Sunday? What do you say to them? I'm going to church. Why do you go to church on Sunday? I wonder if your response might be because it is my day of rest. Rest from what? A rest from my sojourning through this temporal world. Oh, I wonder what their faces would be like if you said that to them. You mean resting from this temporal world, your sojourning. Are you using these, these archaic words for these ancient words? I am just passing through. 
And Sunday, the Lord's Day, is my reminder that I don't belong here. Sunday, the Lord's Day, is my reminder that I'm just passing through. Sunday, the Lord's Day, is my reminder that God deserves all of my worship and all of my praise. And He has given me a day to worship Him. And I will worship Him. Not only because He's commanded me to, but as a sign that I am waiting for His salvation. I wait, O Lord, for Your salvation. It was the Old Testament covenant sign that the people of God were anticipating the rest that God had promised them through the seed that would come through Abraham. It was the day that God set aside for us to set aside all of our worldly affairs in order to worship God. Uh, It's been asked of me in the past. I know uh, that you are really big on the Sabbath. Let me ask you, am I really big on the Sabbath or is God really big on the Sabbath? God is really big on the Sabbath. We may say, well, well then, what, what can I do on the Lord's day? Let me ask you, if God is commanding you to put aside all of your worldly affairs, what is so vital? Oh, what is so pressing that you must attend to the worldly affairs rather than say to God, it's your day. I give to you myself, my mind, my heart, my emotions, all that I am, I give to you on this day. What is so pressing from the world that we've got to divert our attention here to give it to Him or to them, to it? Think about this. We'll talk about this in a moment. But, but oftentimes after service, we run from this place of worship. Let, let me ask you just a question I've been wondering. Where are you going? What is so pressing that you've got to leave the one place that is reminding you throughout this entire day of what this day is about to go where? It was the day that God set aside. And it is the day that God has set aside as both the gift and a sign that God will bring deliverance for His people. And for the delivered, His people, He will ultimately bring us home to that place of rest in Him. And let me say to you, it remains, Hebrews says, the the Sabbath remains. We, the redeemed people of God, we gather, don't we? We're here. It's not the seventh day, it's the first day. The day designated by God through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we too gather to both enjoy the gift of rest and to proclaim that Christ has risen and that He will most assuredly, most assuredly return to bring the redeemed into that heavenly Jerusalem, into Canaan. Now we got to ask another question, don't we? Why after Dan? It's not just because Dan was sixth on the list. It's not just because... Uh, these words were spoken to Dan, and these are the words that come next. Now, look at the words of Dan again, or to Dan again, verse 16. Dan, verse 16, Dan shall judge the people, his people, as one of the tribes of Israel. This is the first part of Dan's prophecy. Do you know that there is a second part? Look at it closely in verse 17. Tell me if this does not sound familiar. 
Dan shall be a serpent in the way. But listen to how Dan is described. A horned snake in the path. I had to look up what a horned snake looked like last night. They are a demonic looking thing. That bites the what? That bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. Brothers and sisters, when you survey the book of Genesis, there are only two times when the word serpent is used. And both are used in similar ways. The one is the verse that you have just read in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 17. And the other is one that you should be readily familiar with. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. It is when the Proto-Evangelion is given. The first gospel is spoken. The Lord God says to the serpent and says to Adam and Eve who are listening, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Brothers and sisters, Israel speaking on the behalf of God. Listen close not only gives the name of the seed that will come. His name is Shiloh, the ruler and the shepherd. But Israel, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he also identifies the serpent that will arise from the tribe of Dan. That will strike Shiloh on his heel. Now you may be wondering at this point. Who is that serpent? The serpent will be a man who walked with Christ. The serpent will be a man that was in charge of taking care of the money that was given to Christ and to his disciples. The serpent will be a man that would present himself as a a sheep. But inwardly he would be a ravenous wolf. The serpent would be one who would go to the Pharisees by night in order to seek to bargain a price for the betrayal of Christ. And he would betray Christ with a kiss. You know, of course, that I'm speaking of Judas Iscariot, filled with the devil, son of perdition. The Bible says it would have been better for him if he had never been born, but he was born. And he was born from the tribe of Dan. Judas was a Danite. And oh, Israel sees. He sees further. Further than we even realize that he saw. He saw that one of his son's sons. As one of his sons would be the one who, from whom the scepter would rise, also one of his sons would, from one of his sons would come one that would bite the heel of Shiloh. But the venom of that viper would not be able to destroy Shiloh. For your salvation I wait, O Lord. Israel in the midst of seeing devastation in his progeny, 
he will not be devastated. Israel hopes, even against what appears to be no hope, that God will bring. Who will bring? God will bring salvation to all of the peoples that God has promised to save. God will not, God will not fail to save all those who are His. He says, in fact, I wait for the Lord's salvation. For your salvation, He says, I wait The psalmist said salvation is of the Lord, not of man, but of God. The apostle John said in John chapter one, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. How do you become a child of God? Is everyone a child of God? No. John says, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, how are you born again? John says, not by blood. Not by who you are related to. Not by the will of the flesh. Not by something that you can do. Nor by the will of man, but born of God. God breathed salvation. When Nicodemus came to Christ in the middle of the night, he had a burning question. A question that was on his mind. A mind that Christ read. Christ says to him, you need to be born again. Nicodemus, how can a man be born again? How how can a man be right with God? He can't go back into his mother's womb and do it all over again. No, Nicodemus, he can't. You can't. As much as you and I would like to start all over, knowing what we know now. How many would like to do that, right? Uh, Be in Back to the Future and start it all over again. Know what's going to happen from the beginning to the end. What choices you would make that would be so much different. Uh, What jobs you would avoid, what relationships you would avoid, what different moments and places you would not be. But you can't do it all over again, can you? So then how can I be made new again? You need new hearts. How can I receive a new heart? Not by your own power, not by your own will. Not by who you're related to. It's the work of God, the Lord Jesus says. He says, unless one is born again of water and spirit, they cannot, will not enter the kingdom of God. He says, don't be amazed. Don't be amazed that I say to you that you must be born again. Well, how does this happen? Oh, the wind blows. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it's coming from and you don't know where it's going. So it is, he says, with everyone who was born of the Spirit. Born again is the work of God. You don't know when it's going to happen, where it's going to happen. God does it, though. You can't make it happen. God does it. You and I can't, we're not airbenders. We can't control the wind. That's a nod to all of my avatar friends. God tells the wind to go west, north, and east, and south. It blows on those whom he wills. And as Israel peers into the future... He knows that salvation will only be of the Lord. Only God 
Only God, only God, dear saints, can give the gift of grace to the hearts of His people. Only God can do, only God can do this. Only, and, and it's then no wonder that He says, for your salvation then, I wait, O Lord. Israel has no control over it. He looks forward with joyful anticipation of what God will do because only God can do it. He has great expectation, confident expectation. But he must wait. Uh, Do any of you like when someone tells you to wait? My children, uh, only one really responds now. The other one's getting better at it. I'm irritated when I call my son and I have to wait. Nazareth, huh? And I'm waiting for him to respond. He's waiting for me to say what I want. I want him here. He says, I'll come here when you tell me what you want. Waiting is a is an uncomfortable, uh, annoying fact of our lives, isn't it? Don't we hate to wait? Oh, and with the pandemic, who wants to go to Chick Fil A these days? Who wants to wait in the lines these days? But you see, saints, waiting is for the powerless. Waiting is for those who have no power to speed up the process. All you can do is helplessly wait. Waiting is for those who have no choice. But when you're waiting on God, you may be helpless but not hopeless. There are some lines you go into and you say, this is hopeless. I'm getting nowhere. And sometimes our life as Christians seems like that, doesn't it? We seem like in this long waiting line. When am I going to receive all of the good things that are supposed to come to me as a believer? And it seems like as I move in this line of waiting to receive something that I think I'm going to receive, we kind of look down and see the the, the long line of people say, I'm going nowhere. But if you are in God, the line is not hopeless you may be helpless but not hopeless psalm 40 i waited patiently for the lord you could just stop there can't you anybody waiting patiently for the lord do you know that Patience is the remedy to waiting. But patience is developed while you wait. No one comes into the line and say, I could be here all day. You know some people that are naturally patient, that you can speak to them all day, they won't interrupt you. And then you know people that when you speak to them, they've already formulated a thousand responses to only one sentence that you said. There are some who won't let you finish your sentence before they interrupt you and tell you everything that's on their mind. And they haven't even heard everything that's on yours. Patience. Patience is the remedy to waiting. Oh, but we are a sinful people, aren't we? 
We are a people that are not naturally desiring and knowing what it means, the virtue of patience. Do you know that patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit of God? That one of the evidences that you are filled with God's Spirit is that you are a patient human being. Maybe not perfectly patient, but developing patience. David said that when I waited patiently for the Lord, then he inclined to me and heard my cry. It is only as we patiently, and and as we say patiently, we mean confidently. I know I'll get there. My wife, oftentimes when we're places, and I am a very impatient person, you might see me fidget. I'm a, I'm a mover. I've got to always be moving, doing something. It takes a lot for me to be just sit and be still. And my wife, thankfully, is my balance. She's the opposite. She's very patient. She could wait all day. And I said, this, this makes no sense. Let's get out of here. This is ridiculous. We could be doing a thousand other things. Honey, honey, just wait. And then I go, all right, let's wait. But the Lord responds to David, answers David. When David patiently waits, then the Lord inclines to him and hears his cry. And what does he do then? He brought me out of a pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock and made my footsteps firm. But not only that, not only does he set me on a strong and firm foundation, but while I'm there, he says... He puts a new song in my mouth. A praise, a song of praise to my God, our God. And he says, and many, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. When you wait on God, you are not waiting in vain. You're not foolishly waiting. Some will say to you, believer, that you're waiting for this life to end. So that you can be taken to a better life and there is nothing better here. You're waiting for nothing. You're waiting in vain. The fool says in his heart that there is no God. No, our waiting is not foolish. It is a confident expectation that God will do all that he has said he will do and so much more. He will do above and beyond all that I could ask and all that I could even think. Are you looking forward, dear saints, with joyful, hopeful anticipation of the future? Are you hopeful in the good promises of God? Do you know that the people of God, we've always been awaiting people, haven't we? Uh, The Old Testament people of God waited for their salvation to come and he came in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has come and now we are waiting, aren't we? We are waiting for Christ to return and we wait in faith. Not wavering in our faith. Not despairing in our faith. We live a lifestyle of faith. It's a pattern of faith. Again, it's one of the characteristics of a believer. Faith. Patience. Listen to these other ones. Long suffering. You know what long suffering means? It means you are able to suffer long and endure it. How? How? Because God preserves you, but one of the, one of the other characteristics of a believer is perseverance. You persevere. Uh, life is not easy, but you continue to press on. 
You may see in the future that it looks dismal. But you persevere. You press forward. Why? Not because you are so strong. Because if truth be told, you are very weak. Because God is strong. Why are you here? Not because you're tough. Some of you know what it is to be tough. Some of you have been raised in tough, in tough ways. You are uh, uh, naturally in some kind of ways tough. But if it were not for the grace of God, you would not be standing where you are today. If it were not for the help of God, you would not be standing where you are today. Israel looks forward and he looks forward with hope and confidence. Because God is with him. God is his rock. God is his stability. Uh, Let me ask you, saints. How are you able to look forward with hope? How are you able to look forward with confidence? I say it's because God has given you the ability to look back and to see his faithfulness. Which is our second point. Israel looking forward and Israel looking back. For your salvation I wait, O Lord. Israel is only able to look forward with confidence because Israel is able to look back and see the goodness and the faithfulness and the kindness and the grace and the mercy of God. As Israel looks forward at the redemptive purposes of God, Absolute confidence because he's been able to look back and see God has not failed me yet. And he won't fail me going forward. And it's a, it's a wonderful transformation. Here is this man who so often struggled throughout his life to be confident in God. So many years uh, he used his wit, his own craftiness, his ability to uh, to guile, uh, to outmaneuver his opponents. Do you know some people like that? They're just good. In school, they don't study, but they're just smart. At work, they just seem to always get the best jobs for however, for whatever reason. Life just seems to always work out for them. And then there's those people that have to work for it. There is those people who are not naturally smart, not naturally gifted, that don't have all of the the things that would be comely to other people, but they have all of those. They don't have all those things, and they need to work for them. Well, Jacob was the one that everything was easy to him. He could get, he could figure it out. He was the kind of guy that could work out situations by his own understanding. But it was leaning upon his own understanding. That brought him to a place of exile. Through many toils and tears, he had been taught by the grace of God to not lean upon his own understanding. But to trust in God in all of his ways. You remember, don't you? He always was someone who took matters into his own hands. He most often did not wait on the Lord. Even in the womb. He is not waiting to exit the womb, but he is grabbing on to the heel of his brother. He used his guile of the red stew to rob his brother of the birthright. 
He used the goat hair to deceive his old blind father into giving him the blessing. He therefore had to run away from home, runs away from Saul or Esau, ashamed of what he's done to his father, goes to his uncle Laban with only a staff in his hand, only to learn the grace of waiting. Such a weakness of Jacob waiting. Impatience. He often thought more highly of himself and what he could do than what God can do. And it seems like as you survey Jacob's life, and I'm calling him Jacob at this point, that his life was a lesson of waiting on the Lord. Think about this with me. He would have to wait seven years for his beloved Rachel. And then when he finds out that he's deceived, he needs to wait even longer to have her as his bride. How long did he wrestle with the Lord at the fort of Jabbok? All night long. Has something ever kept you up all night long? Have you ever grappled with difficulty and trial and despair all night long? So long that even the rising of the sun surprised you because you thought the darkness would last forever. Jacob wrestled all night long. Then he would learn to wait again as he sat with a coat of many colors in his hand, bloodied from a supposed animal. He said his head would go down to the grave because of his sorrow. And then he would have to wait again as famine hits Canaan and Egypt. And he sends his son to Egypt to receive uh, food and resources. He must wait for their return. Seems like the whole of Jacob's life was a lesson of waiting. Waiting on the Lord. But then God, by his grace and his mercy, would lower, would lower a ladder into Jacob's life. God, by his grace, would show Jacob that he was not aloof from the affairs of this life. God would show him that he was intricately involved in all of the comings and goings of Jacob's life, that, that nothing was by chance, but it was all ordered by the grace of God. And it was a lesson. Jacob's whole life was a an institution of learning. It would be the university of patience and waiting on the Lord. Some of you are in that university now. You are right now just working on your uh, basic education. Some of you are advanced and you are getting your credentials. But you won't finally graduate 
until you are able, as Jacob will do in a few moments, to gather your feet into your bed and breathe your last. God appeared to Jacob and says, I am God Almighty and I am your God. And I will give you this land on which you sleep. I am with you. I will be with you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land again. Here's Israel, 147 years old, looking back at the promises of God and saying, God has fulfilled every single one. And therefore, he can look forward and say, therefore, Lord, I will wait for your salvation. Because as I look back, you have been so good. Better than I had deserved in the midst of all of my weaknesses. You have been so good to me. And I know that you will be no different in the days ahead. He's learned and now knows better than ever that it's not by his power, not by his cunning, not by his scheming, not by his activity. But it is by the grace of God who fulfills all of his precious promises that he can wait patiently and confidently in the Lord. It is because of the covenant making, covenant keeping God who blessed him. Even when he was undeserved, Jacob was a scoundrel. That he is able to trust in the promises of God. You and I are not deserving of the goodness of God. You realize that, right? As you look back, look back at who and what you were. Why do you have any right to look forward and know that it's good? Because God is good, not because you are good. Not because I am good. God brings Israel to the mountaintop, if you will. And has him look from the mountaintops at all of the valleys that he's been brought through. All of the ridges that God has helped him to overcome. It says, Israel, this is the story of your life. And now you are here. Can you see it all, Israel? Can, can you see why you needed to go there in order to get here? Do you see, Israel, that if you went that way, you wouldn't have made it? I brought my son to the top of uh, the kind of hill mountains of the bluffs, not the bluffs, the, uh, the hard park once. And as we looked down, he doesn't remember this. He was only four. He said, Dad, are we on top of the world? And I said, yes, kind of. I said, but there are higher places. Look there. But he goes, that's where we parked. I can see our car. I, oh, I see we came this way. Yes, and do you see that why we didn't go that way, son? It's too steep. That's why I brought you this way. It was hard, but that's why we came this way. It is what God does for the believer. There are times when he brings us to mountain peaks and says, now I need you to look back and see where you are. And as you look back, if you can do like the Lord has done for me for 21 years now as a believer, 19 years old, when the Lord brought me to salvation. Struck on the driver's side by a drunk driver, I look back and I see why now. Why I didn't die that night. Why there was not a scratch on me and why that led to even more confidence in God. That He has created me for a particular purpose. 
then I will not waste the purpose that God has made me and created me and preserved me for. I'm looking back over and seeing, okay, I understand. And God is saying to me at me at 41, but there are still more valleys and there are still more mountains to climb. Onward. I have waited for your salvation. I've learned to count on God's power and God's grace. I pray that you see the grace that is there as Jacob addresses his, his, his sons and then praises God. We need to learn to wait on the Lord. How often have we run and we've not been sent? How often have we spoken and we've not been spoken to? How often have we acted and God has not even told us to lift a finger? That we would learn the discipline of waiting on the Lord. That we would be a people marked by prayer. Prayer and asking God, should I go? Will you be with me? And if there is no answer, waiting patiently on the Lord. We make big life-changing decisions and we don't even ask God if that's the direction that He is taking us into. We arrogantly, arrogantly act and assume that God will simply bless How impatient we are. We can't again wait for people to stop speaking before we speak. Oh, one, of, one of the, the habits and, and, and vices of mine. Again, we're always in a hurry. We rush out of this place of worship to go where? Back to the world. In conflict, we immediately want a way out. Rather than learning to be long-suffering, learning whatever it is that God wants to teach us through the suffering, through the conflict. When there's a need, we want it yesterday. Rather than learning to wait on God and allowing God to strengthen our faith, to grow our faith as we patiently wait upon Him. Learn from Psalm 40. I waited patiently on the Lord. And there's a there's this pause there. And He turned to me and answered my cry. You know that we disobey God when we are anxious. You know that we disobey the command of Christ when we are fearful. Christ commands us that we should not be fearful, that we should have no anxieties, that He clothes even and cares for the lilies of the valley, that He feeds even the birds of the air. And if He feeds and clothes these, we have no warrant for anxiety. We have no warrant for fear. The Lord declares in Jeremiah 29 that He knows the plans for your life. That he's designed them. He has the blueprint for your life. And they're good. Uh, They are plans that are meant to give you a future and a hope. So you can say with Israel. Well then Lord for your salvation I wait. Even when we are least deserving. When we are most complaining. When we are at our absolute worst, God is at his best.
It was by the grace of God that he was saved. Therefore, at this particular time, he raises a praise and glory to God. I pray that you realize the riches of the gospel of grace. The riches of this simple phrase, simple phrase, that he is the God of Jacob. Maybe you're here this morning with a conscience that accuses you of many failures. Maybe as I have been speaking this morning and as God has been ministering to your heart, you have felt convicted in some certain ways. Maybe you have been convicted of a lack of trust of God. Maybe constantly relying on your own schemes and your own dreams and your own resources. Maybe you confess that you are a heel grabber like Jacob. And maybe this has discouraged you or overwhelmed you. Let me say to you that all of these things do not disqualify you from the grace of God. That they and the amazing goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They actually qualify you for the grace and mercy of God. Because grace is a gift that you can't earn. And one you cannot pay back. And grace is not based upon your failures. But grace is a glorious gift that is based upon the goodness of God. Your need, your sin, your guilt, it may be very great indeed. But God's grace and truth are greater still. God can do in you what he has done for Jacob. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And you can always pour out your heart on the throne of grace. And receive mercy there. And I pray that as you are climbing, that you'll be able to look back and see the goodness and kindness and grace of God. And how he has brought you so, so very far. Even when you and I were least deserving. So Israel, uh, he looks forward. Israel looks back. And let's go to these final verses. Uh, Genesis chapter 49. It's a beautiful picture. And this will be a very brief point that maybe we'll deal with in the coming weeks. For your salvation, I wait, O Lord, verse 18. And then look at verse 29. Then he charged them and said to them, I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, in the cave that is that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham brought along with the field from Ephron, the Hittite, for a burial site. Listen to this. There they buried Abraham and his wife, Sarah, There they buried Isaac and his wife, Rebekah. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it, purchased with the sons of Heth. When Jacob finished charging his sons, he drew his feet into his bed and breathed his last 
and was gathered to his people. What a beautiful, what a beautiful image of these final moments, isn't it? Of this patriarch, this prophet, this prince Israel. This man who has risen, if you will, to speak to his sons, leaned upon his staff for strength, praised God. After he has given his final word, if you can imagine in your mind's eye, this this 147 year old man sitting back down on his bed, turning to his side, picking up those old feet into his bed and breathing his final breath. He knows what lies ahead. He's confident because of God's word. He sees the faithfulness in the past. And now he is ready to be gathered. He says, now I'm going to my people. I hope that that's our final word. You say to your, to your loved ones as they are, as you are about to depart, don't cry for me. I'm going to God and I'm going to my people. He is like Simeon in the book of Luke. Simeon who was told that he would not taste death until he laid his eyes on the Messiah. And then it was on that glorious day when he was given eyes to see, to see Shiloh. He waited for the Lord's salvation. He waited to have his eyes blessed to see the one who would save the nations. And then there came the little one carried by mother and father and Simeon is, is told by the Lord up, the one whom you've been waiting for, he is at hand and he stands and he takes the baby into his arms and he says, familiar words. Now, Lord, you're, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of the people. I want to encourage you, saints, in closing. God has promised in his word that those who are in him have a bright future. Brighter than the sun. You can accurately say my future is bright. Because you will be in the presence of the one whose light is brighter than the sun. And I pray that in spite of whatever difficulty you have you have faced in the past, you are able to see how God has preserved you. Grace uh, mercifully preserved you through it all. So that when times come and when the time comes for you to depart, you are able to say along with Simeon. Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant. To depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen your salvation. Let us pray.